Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And I'll pray. Lord, thank you so much again for loving us and, um, and for your word, which is just so clear and which is nothing other than truth. We pray that we would accept, God, all that you've said, that we would by faith, Lord, surrender ourselves to you and put ourselves under the truth of your word and that you would be free, God, to reveal yourself in us as we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, being that um, I'm done with Matthew and it is the Sanctity of Life Sunday, I thought I would just um, have this sermon be about um, why we celebrate the Sanctity of Life. And it has to do with being made in the image of God. So that's the reason for the scripture reading this morning. As a way maybe to set the um, stage a little bit for why this is even necessary to talk about, it was just last night um, I was on a news app that I have on my phone and I came across this um, really um, sad story where um, a Christian company here in Texas in the Dallas area um, generously gave a gift card to the Grapevine Police Department of $1,500 so that they could treat their staff to pizza. And the Grapevine Police Department was very thankful. They, they posted it on Facebook and they gave public recognition of this Christian company and what they had done. And they wrote, sincere thanks to our friends we are blessed to have their support and encouragement. Only to shortly after start getting all kinds of um, negative posts on Facebook of what they had done. And so they began to get a lot of backlash for accepting a gift, and I'm quoting, from a, from a Christian conservative company. So the Grapevine Police Department deleted its Facebook post where it was thanking the company for what it had done. And they wrote, Quote, one of our values, dignity, ensures that we recognize the inherent worth of all persons and compels us to act toward them within a manner that conveys our understanding of that truth. It is being respectful to all, and all is capitalized, capital A, capital L, capital L. Please know that our actions were not intended to create distrust and we will vow to do better moving forward. Just received a gift card from a conservative Christian company. And they said in doing that, we recognize that we transgressed against our value of showing dignity and, um, and the inherent worth of all persons. And we'll try to do better. How ironic. It is because we as Christians believe that all human life has been created in the image of God. It is on that basis that we believe that all human life has inherent value. But if you believe that we're a product of evolution, 
then man doesn't even have a soul or a spirit, and he has not been made in the image of God. Everything is explained purely by materialistic um, means. We are just cells. Then man does not have inherent worth. But God has been very, very clear here that he has made us in his image and likeness. And Kelly's already talked about this some today in the adult Sunday school class, so he was stealing my thunder there. So if I'm not clear, just get the message from Kelly and it'll be a lot clearer. So I just want to just step through this a little bit and just and make some obvious observations here about what he is saying and, and what is not being said. First of all, it says, then God, and the word here for God is Elohim, which is plural. And we get it from the very beginning, in the, at the very first verse, in the beginning, God, Elohim, and that is plural. And so it is rightly translated singular every time when it's in reference to the God of the Bible. But there are times when this same word is, cons- is translated in the plural, gods, when in reference to false gods. But this Elohim is always singular. And as it is here, then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man in our image. And so we know right here from the first chapter of Genesis that God, who is one, is more than one person. Genesis doesn't reveal us to us how many persons. It takes the rest of the Bible for us to understand that it is three, not more, not less, but three persons who are each absolutely God, fully God in and of themselves. One is not less God than another. But there are three. And the Scripture reveals them as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have been made in their image. So some people, for example, the Jewish rabbis want to say that the us, that he's talking to the angels. And he says, hey, angels, we're going to make man in our image. The problem with that is the Bible doesn't ever mention angels here. And the Bible never says that angels have been made in the image of God. Only we have been made in the image of God. Angels have not. We are absolutely unique from the rest of God's creation. So we are not animals. Animals were not made in the image of God. We are not angels. Angels were not made in the image of God. We are something else. And we are the only thing that God has made of all that He has created that is made in the image of God. The only thing. I love Ian Thomas's book, The Indwelling Life of Christ, and he really capitalizes on this theme and what I've just said to you. And he uses the illustration, and he, he, it's facetious. He acknowledges that. But he says, suppose that you were living on another planet in another galaxy and somehow you heard that there was this planet in a distant galaxy where the inhabitants were created by God in the image of God. Well, you would naturally assume that if you can't see God or know God, but if you saw those individuals, those inhabitants of that planet and got to know them, then you would know what God is like. And that would be a correct assumption. Jesus said of himself to his disciples in John chapter 14, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In another passage, he's described as the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what the invisible God is like, look at Jesus. But we ought to be able to say, if you want to know what the invisible God is like, look at me. Look at you. 
Because we have been made in the image of God. And the only reason you can't look at us and see God is because of sin. So the image of God has not been destroyed, but it has been marred. There are a couple different places in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, which refer to us currently in our state of sin as still being in the image of God. So God's image has not been lost. We are still in the image of God. And so these babies that we dedicated this morning are in the image of God, even though they are born separated from God. But they're in God's image. So we know from this passage that God is one God, and we also know He is more than one person. He is three persons from what we know of the rest of the Bible. We know that God is spirit. The Bible says God is spirit and we are flesh. The Bible never says that God has a body and He is never called a soul. God is spirit. There are anthropomorphisms, we call it, where there's a figure of speech where, we just, where the Bible says God's strong right arm. Or, um, or God, you know, and, and so, but those are, we take it, are, are just man's attributes that are being attributed to God. And we take them as not being literal because God is spirit. The Bible never says that God has a soul. Or it never calls God a soul, but there are two or three places where God makes mention of his soul. He says, my soul will always be with you, or my soul is in distress. We've been made in the image, his image. And here's the thing, there is nothing in this text that would limit the image of God to the immaterial part of man. Now I just said God doesn't have a body. And we do. And when God says, I have my, my, this is my, strike, my, wrong, my, my strong right hand or whatever we're saying, those are figures of speech. And theologians of all stripes pretty much unanimously say that the image of God cannot pertain to our physical being because God is not physical. I, I have a, so anytime some, everybody says one thing and there's one preacher that says something else, he's probably wrong. So I say this with a grain of salt, okay? Is this, I don't think this is a point of orthodoxy. I hope not because I'm about to sound like a heretic if it is. I see no theological problem with saying that God who is spirit is imaged in all that he has made. We are uniquely in the image of God and God, I, I think, is imaged, who does not have a physical body, he is imaged in our physical body. The reason I say that is two things. One, the Bible says, does not God who made the eye see? Does not God who made the ear hear? So he may not have eyes and ears like we do, but he sees and he hears. So our bodies, in that sense, image the seeing and hearing God. Also, we would all acknowledge that everything in heaven is invisible to us. God himself is invisible to us. Heaven itself is invisible to us. We cannot in these physical bodies see the spiritual realm. And that's probably a good thing we'd all be scared out of our minds if we could see all the spiritual realm. So we can't at this time. 
But the day is coming when we will have a glorified body and we will be able to see what we cannot see, this spiritual realm. But now we can't. So everything in heaven, God, the angels, his throne, everything is invisible to us. That would include the temple of God, right? There is a temple in heaven. Hebrews says that the temple that has been made on earth is a copy of the one that is in heaven. Well, go figure. So we all accept that truth because the Bible says very plainly, the temple on earth, the one that you can see, the one that you can touch, is a visible, physical copy of the invisible, spiritual temple in heaven. So in other words, the invisible can be made visible. The invisible can be imaged in the physical. And the temple is the example of that. Because what I'm getting at is I see nothing in this text that make man in our image that says only his spiritual aspect, only his non-material aspect. Because you can't define man apart from his body. You can't, man I believe is in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And none of those one elements is the definition of man. It is true that man is called a soul, but man is never only a soul. He is never called a body, he is never called a spirit, but he is called a soul. But he is a man, he is a woman made in the image of God. Body, soul, and spirit, there's nothing here that restricts it only to soul and spirit. So I'm a little bit uncomfortable putting a restriction on what is not plain in the text. Let us make man in our image. Let us make them male and female. And I don't see, oh, but that part's not in the image of God. If there can be a temple in heaven which can have an image in, on earth that is physical and visible, I see no theological problem in saying the spirit God, God who is spirit, cannot be imaged in our physical humanity as well as in our soul and our spirit. Why is that important? Because that means every aspect of our being has been made in the image of God and therefore every aspect of our being has value. We are not a people who are only concerned with the soul or spirits of man. We are also concerned with their bodies. And so this is why all through the centuries it has been Christians who have started um, disaster relief organizations. It's been Christians that have started hospitals. It hasn't been other religions that have done this. It's only been Christians. And it's because we believe that the entire person has been made in the image of God and therefore has worth. We're not just concerned about a person's soul. So when a hurricane hits somewhere and there's thousands of people that are without power and without their homes, we don't just send them Bibles, right? We load up our trucks, we get generators down there, we get people down there to help with their physical needs because we recognize the entire person is of worth to God. I believe that male and female, when he says let, them make them, let us make them male and female, God is not male or female. But there is something about male and female which is true of God. Everything that makes male, male is in God. 
Everything that makes female female is in God. I believe that God is saying that you cannot image God with only male or only female. And one person can't be both. God is saying that, that for God to be properly imaged, He has to have both sexes. One sex does not wholly image God. It takes both sexes in relationship with each other for God to be seen for who God is. And as I said, everything that makes male male and everything that makes female female is true of God. Inherently true of God. Having said that, we know that everything, every time that God relates to us, He relates to us as male. Every time. Every single name of God is male. Every pronoun in reference to God is male. Every time. No exceptions. But that's because of who we are, not because of who He is. He's the Creator, and we are the creatures. We live in response to Him. We live because of Him. We do not, he does not live in response to us. And so the male sex, the male gender, is the, is the sex of initiative and the female of response. An initiative, taking initiative. God so loved this world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then the response, as many as receive Him. That's the female posture. And so the world and the nations are routinely referred to in Scripture as female. The church is female, but God is male in how He relates to us. He is not in and of Himself man. He is not man. But all that makes male male and makes female female is true of God. And when God makes them both, God says, you can see how I am. That all that we see is what is true of God. So we become a visible picture of God. And I think, as C.S. Lewis would say, and other writers as well, um, some have been tremendously insightful on this, that, that the male and female is much more than physical. That male and female is imprinted on our being. Our souls are male and female, not just our bodies. And, and this is all because we have been made in His image. Image means to reflect. It means to portray. And we have been made to reflect Him or to portray Him. What is God's work now that we are saved? Once you place your faith in Christ, what is He doing? What is His predestined purpose for us? to bring us back into conformity to His Son, so that when you see us, you see Him. Twice when predestination, the two passages that are most focused on predestination in the Bible, Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, they both have to do with what happens after you become a Christian. We have been predestined to be conformed to His Son. That is why what His predestined purpose is, now that you've been saved, is to bring you back into that perfect image of God Himself. The image of God is the one thing that sets us apart from all of creation, plant, animal, and angel. Image involves certain distinctions. For example, distinct from the animals, we can worship God, they can't. 
We can compose music, symphonies. Some people can. I can't. We speak language. We can learn different languages. Animals can't. We have conscience. We have a sense of right and wrong. We can write. We can name. All of these things distinguish us from the animals. But they don't necessarily distinguish us from the angels. That's interesting. So there's something about else about the image of God that goes beyond the things that I've just listed for you. Because those things would be true for the angels. They can worship. So worship does not distinguish me from all of God's creation. It only distinguishes me from animal life. We see, as I've been mentioning, that image involves one God being seen, but also the God who is more than one person being seen. Male and female in unity. So it's not just that, he, that I, as a person, am in the image of God, but you particularly see the image of God when you see me as a man in relationship with my wife, who is a woman. And there's something about that that God says, this uniquely expresses who I am. God is not imaged fully in one person. Had God created only a man or only a woman, God would not have been fully imaged. Had God created two men or two women, God would not have been fully imaged. He is not imaged in one person, nor is he imaged in homogeneity, using a big word there, but he is imaged in heterogeneity. It is in the contrast, the diversity that are united where God is imaged. And we see that concept of in diversity there is unity in all of God's creation. This is why at the end of Genesis God looks at all that he has made and he says, Behold, it is very good. This has been the, the driving force of, of intellectuals from the, almost the beginning of man's history of trying to determine and figure out when we look at the natural world how we can have such diversity and yet harmony, unity. How? How does this work? You can't understand it apart from the triune God where there are three persons, one God, so you have diversity, three persons, and absolute unity, one God. And God in imaging himself said, the best thing I can do to show you what I am is in the relationship between a man and a woman, and I believe even probably extends to their children. Because in this family context, which is the basic unit of all society, we have an inkling of what it looks like to see God. Diversity with unity. God is Spirit. It never says that God is soul or God is body. But there are a couple of references. We don't know if they're literal or not where it speaks about God having a soul. Never says he is a soul. Man is described as a soul. But it is also said that man possesses a body and that man possesses a spirit. And that man possesses a soul. So that's a little hard to get your mind around. I am a soul. 
But the body says, I possess, I mean, the scripture says, I possess a soul, and I possess a body, and I possess a spirit. I possess all three of these things. That in itself should indicate to us that we are more than any one of those things. What we are is all three of them together. Man has a body, he has a spirit. Being described as a soul is the closest that we can describe him as Scripture does, even though the Bible says God is spirit and we are flesh. The Bible also says we are a soul. We cannot be what we are without all three of those things. My understanding of Scripture is that when we die and we leave our body here in the grave, Paul says that we will not be unclothed. And so it appears that when we die and go to be with the Lord in heaven, even though the body is still in the earth, that they're in this transition state between earth and the eternal realm of the new heaven, new earth, in that transition state where we will be with God in glory, we will not be unclothed. All, I can, all we can confer, infer from that is that Paul is saying that there will be some kind of body that will be given to us before the physical body is raised from the dead. Why would that be important? Because we are not who we are unless we have all three. I don't just inhabit a body. I, have, I am body, soul, and spirit. Take away the body and I'm not the human being that God created me to be. It must be all three. And so it seems from God's word there will never be a time when you will not have all three because this is who you are. The Bible never defines what a soul is. Typically you'll hear it's mind, emotion, and will. But it never says that in the Bible, so we don't really know. The Bible describes as the soul departing the body when we die. It also describes the spirit departing the body when we die. So if the soul is mind, emotion, and will, then we would have to say that animals have souls. Because they have mind, emotion, and will. But the Bible never says animals have souls. We would have to say that God has a soul. We would have to say that angels have souls. But again, we don't want to go beyond what Scripture says. And it just never says conclusively those things. Sometimes it's been said that the body is that part of us which relates to the physical world that we live in. And the spirit is that part of us which relates to God who is spirit. And the soul is that part which ties the two together. Could be. I don't know. I don't have any problem with it. So what is the essential distinctive between us and everything else that God has made? What makes us uniquely in the image of God? Hard to say. Distinct from the angels? Well, we have been made male and female. And it appears they have not. Every time an angel appears in the Bible, he is male. We don't ever see a female angel in the Bible. So it would appear that God did not make them male and female. But male and female does not distinguish us from the animals because they've been made male and female. But the animals 
we would know, do not have a spirit. Soul, we could argue that. The animals do not have a concept of morality. The animals cannot worship. The animals can't form languages. So we are clearly distinct from the animals. We know we're distinct from the plants because they have neither soul nor spirit. But what makes us distinct from all other creation? As I've said, it's not worship because the angels worship. Here is all I can come up with. I did a fair amount of reading this week on this, and, and it's a question that, surprisingly, a lot of the people that I was reading, they just skip. They will argue till the cows come home. We have been made in the image of God. But then they just kind of stop short. What does that mean? What makes us unique? And the closest that some get is worship. Yes, but the angels worship. So there's something else about the image of God that makes us unique to everything else that God has made. One thought that I see from Scripture is that we alone have been made to be inhabited by God. We alone are temples of God. We see in the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 2, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from ground, the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. God didn't breathe the breath of life into anyone else. This is the only thing that God made where he breathed his very life into that being. And that's when they became a living being. So in other words, you can't define man apart from the breath of God. Because until he received the breath of life, the breath of God, he was just like, he was just dirt. The distinguishing feature of man is the breath of God which animates him. Now when Adam sinned, he lost that relationship with God. But he did not cease being a man. He didn't become something other than man. Now he is a fallen man. But he is still a man. But he is less than what God created him to be. Still man, but not the man that God created him to be. Because he no longer has the breath of God within him. Fascinating to me that in Acts chapter 2, when those 120 individuals are waiting for the Spirit of God to be given to them. And then we read that and it says that something like tongues of fire distributed themselves on the head of each person. And they heard a sound like a rushing wind which came upon them. Well, there was no fire in the room and there was no wind in the room, but there was something that looked and sounded like those two things. But the word for wind in both the Greek and the Hebrew is the same word for breath. And though they didn't feel a wind, they heard a wind. They heard the sound of what sounded like a wind. It could have been just as well translated, they heard the sound of a breath. God breathing once again into man what he lost 
when Adam sinned. The breath of life. Gives me goosebumps thinking about that. That God is restoring man to man's original creative function and design. To be inhabited by and animated by God. Where it's no longer the explanation again is flesh and blood. But the explanation is flesh and the spirit of God. This is what makes me man. This is what distinguishes me from everything else. It's not my flesh, and it's not my heart pumping. What distinguishes me from all else that God has made is that in my flesh indwells God. I have been animated by the very Spirit of God. The breath of God comes in, and man becomes man. So you cannot define man apart from God. Man apart, from man, is, man apart from God is less than the man that God created us to be. This, above all else, is what distinguishes us. Is an individual who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus still a temple of God? Yes. He's just not inhabited by God. He is an empty temple. Is he still in the image of God? Yes. But he's not doing a very good job imaging God because the God to be imaged is not living in him. That's the first and most important, probably, distinction between all else that God has made. Angels are not animated by the breath of God. Uniquely, we are. A second is union with God. No one else is called the friend of God. No one else is called the child of God. But the scripture refers to, both, uh, both, to us as both. We are the friends of God and we are the children of God. And therefore we can call God Father. No one else has that privilege. So the relationship, the union that God has given us is truly relational. And it, it, is, it, is, it is as one, Jesus says in John 17, we are as one with him as Jesus is with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Father, make them one with us even as I am one with you. Nothing else in creation can say that. And a third is there is nothing else in creation that God has made that can create Immortal life. Animals can procreate, but they cannot create an immortal soul. I don't believe that angels have the capacity to procreate. I think that is not in how God has made them. They cannot reproduce. They cannot. If they could, then they would all be related to each other and Jesus could have died for them. So I have significant theological problems with the thought that angels can reproduce. There is nothing in Scripture that indicates, in my mind, that they can, with each other or in any other way. We alone have not only the capacity for reproduction, but the capacity to reproduce what is immortal. These children that we recognize this morning will live forever, either with the Lord or separate from Him, 
We trust with him. And this is a God thing. There is no way that we could do this on our own, but this is how God has created us. It is a privilege that he has given us. I wonder if it doesn't just extend to the physical, but also to the spiritual. The greatest longing that these young parents have is that their children know Jesus. And that's the true reproduction of life. Now, it is not just a soul that will never live, that will never die, but that will always exist, but now is a soul that will always live with God. And we can all be spiritual mothers and fathers. Paul described himself as that. He says, you may, you, you may have many teachers, but you will only have one father, and he was speaking about himself. And he said, because he's the one who led these people to Christ. And each time somebody came to Christ, I believe Paul was saying, I've just become a dad again. To a person who will live forever with Jesus. Again, angels don't lead people to faith in Christ. Angels are not responsible with God for new birth. Did you ever think about that? Angels, God does not use angels to bring people to salvation. Angels may be here and there part of the process. They may be a link in the chain. I don't question that. But it is through, Paul says in Romans 10, how shall they hear unless someone tells them? And and he rules out angels. He's talking about people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how shall they hear unless someone tells them a person? And every person who ever comes to faith, there is a person involved. All of us can point to, maybe it's just the person who printed the Bible and put it in the hotel room. But every one of us can point to a person and behind every conversion is both God and man. Just as behind every child that's been born is both God and man. God is responsible for every physical birth, every baby, but so are the parents. And God is responsible for every new birth, but so was another individual who was, in process, who was involved in that process. And this is something that is unique for our humanity. Being made in the image of God gives us purpose. We are here on this planet to reflect Him, to portray Him. Young people grow up and they don't know, you know whether they should go to university, whether they should get a trade, whether they should get married, whether they should go to the mission field. Those are all legitimate questions that have to be answered. But one question has already been answered. What is my purpose? I am here to reflect God. And that is impossible without Christ in me. To truly reflect Him as I've been made to reflect Him. We, may, we never need to question what our value is being made in the image of God is our value there's no such thing as a worthless human being no such thing as a person who should never have been born every human being has value because that person has been made in the image of God and this again is why we care what was Hitler during World War II Practicing eugenics on a massive scale like the world has never seen. We were doing it on a smaller scale here in this country before World War II. 
I didn't realize that. But we were rounding up children that we considered incorrigibles, children that would never reproduce, have a, 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 a good life. They would only be criminals. And we believed at the time that criminals beget criminals. And so the best thing we could do is just round up those children and, and against their will sterilize them so that they could not reproduce. And we were doing it all over this country. That's the background to Planned Parenthood, believing that blacks do not deserve life. And that's why most of the, of the parent, Planned Parenthood clinics were put into black neighborhoods. Incredible. In this very country, doing the exact thing that Hitler was doing. Only Hitler was targeting Jews and gypsies and the mentally handicapped, all of them. This is why after World War II, one of the torchbearer ministries that's still in existence today focused on having homes to the handicapped because no one else in Austria or Germany was doing it. And they became the only one. And such a contrast to the culture that they had just been living through during World War II. But we believe truly what that Grapevine Police Department said. Every single person has inherent value. And when a Christian says homosexuality is wrong, lesbianism is, is wrong, transgenderism is wrong, and not just wrong, but sin. We are not speaking about the inherent value of the individual. We would die for those individuals. Jesus died for those individuals. We do not hate them. We love them. But we believe that what they are doing is not reflective of God and not reflective of the value and worth that they have in him. We know that having been made in the image of God, we are the most privileged of all God's creation. And we know as Christians, we are even more privileged than the rest of humanity because we know God personally and are in union with him. Sanctity of life means all human life is sacred. It means all human life is unique from everything else that God has made. And it means that it is sacred and unique from the very moment of conception. It does not mean that individuals should not suffer the consequences of their actions, and particularly where an individual has, is guilty of a capital crime, that that individual should not face a capital punishment. We believe that criminals who are put to death for their crimes are still people made in the image of God. And because they've been made in the image of God, they should be held accountable for their actions. Precisely because of this. This is again something that C.S. Lewis argued. He said the criminal penal system should never be about reform because men and women have been made in the image of God. He said they should all, the criminal penal system should always be about punishment and never about reform. He says because trying to reform a human being is acting as though that person does not have their own free will. 
and that you're imposing your will on them, it's like trying to train a dog. But they're not dogs. They're human beings made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, they should be held morally responsible for the moral choices that they made. That's treating people with dignity. And I believe he's right. It is a mystery. We do not fully understand all that it means to be made in the image of God. But one thing we can agree on is a man or woman's been made in the image of God and they all have, everyone, 100%, no exception. They all have worth and all have value. And it is inherent value. And it is so sad that the world would take its godless philosophy and try to say, that's what we believe. So sad. We are the most blessed creatures God has made in all the universe. And our one purpose and our one joy is to make him known. That people would look at our lives and say, that's Jesus. I'll close this in prayer. God, we do thank you so much for the gift of life and that we can celebrate every life that comes into this world. We don't understand why some are stronger and healthier than others, why there is so much just difference from one child to the other. But we have no question, God, that each has been made by you and that they are each a gift from you. We pray, God, that, that we would, as a church, be purposeful, intentional in pointing these children to you, but also, Lord, modeling our lives in such a way, being so dependent upon you that when they look at us, they would have Jesus before them and that their hearts would be drawn to you. We thank you, God, that having made in your image, we have purpose and value and worth. Thank you, God, that we never need to question these things. And I pray that you would encourage our hearts, God, in the dark days, in the, in the persecutions, God, that, that we sometimes face, that we would not forget what you say about us, that we are your beloved. We have been fashioned by you. Before we were even made, we were in your heart, fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's wombs, and that you love us, and we are so much more value than anything else that you've made. In Jesus' name, amen.